As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. This is the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. Chris Peter is going to join us a little bit later on, but we're going to dive right in here, Corey, to your under-23 rankings uh, always really interesting when these come out, especially mid-season. It's fun to see who has made uh, the big jumps. And, and we'll start toward the top of this list. Not a huge jump in terms of difference, but Matty Beneers goes from a guy you had kind of in the early teens in, into your top five. I think that's justified given the kind of season he's out to uh, with the Seattle Kraken. But what in his game was it that most kind of fueled his his rise for you into a tier with, you know, you got him now not too far behind the, um, the Jack Hughes, Rasmus Dahlin top tier. Right, and I think with with Maddie, we always saw a guy with you know a good size center who skated well, who competed hard, had good hockey sense. The question always, whether it was his junior days or even early into those college days, is how much was the offense going to be there? And he's answered that question at least in the first half of this season in a pretty uh, decisive way. He is scoring at a very high clip. Uh, he's a, a driving player on one of the top offensive teams in the league, um, you know, plays an important role in their power play, 
while providing that competitiveness and the details in his two-way game. You compare him to, say, other guys I have in close range to that, you know, he's pretty similar in scoring to, say, Trevor Zegras, who was a pure offensive skill type. By no means does he have the same level of skill or offensive creativity as Zegras, but he's even, and we'll see long-term, I would imagine Zegras is going to score more over the course of his career, but he's showing that he has a lot of offense to go with the size, the competitiveness, the two-way ability. It's a very complete player and thus makes him one of the best young players in hockey currently. I think we could probably tie in Dylan Cousins to, to a similar right. conversation to that about kind of this idea that, you know, offense is more than skill and, and creativity. Like there, it can be created in different ways. And those two guys, I think both of them in your top five here uh, are a good example of that. Right. And both of them did see their skill and hockey sense range getting increased sure. a little bit from before there, you know, you got to give their, you know, the cousins kind of same thing with Beniers. Like he's on the top power play of arguably the best offense in the NHL right now. You don't do that if you don't have a significant amount of skill, but he also is 6'3" and a right shot center, and really competitive and hard to play against. Um, and those are two uh, centers that a lot of teams around the league would love to have. Like that, those are those are rare type of players. Another guy who made a big jump, Wyatt Johnson, goes from I think the '60s. Uh, he's into the low teens now here, and, and I'm I'm curious about this one because I, I know we're we're projecting always here, but it's not like he's having Beniers level production right away in the NHL. So right. what do you see to pump him up as, as high as he is? Well, there's a little bit of, you know, just for context. So Dallas, great team. Um, you know, a lot of offense on that team, deep lineup, and he's a teenager. You know, Maddie's, uh, you know, a, a little bit older than him. So you got to adjust for that a little bit. Uh, Johnson also, the trajectory where you looked like at a guy who was one of the best players in the OHL last season. You know, he was arguably the best and he won the most outstanding player award. Then he comes into the NHL as a teenager and plays an important role on a top team as a teenager. Uh, you look at the tools where you look at you know the skill, the hockey sense really stand out. This is a very competitive player. You watch him even though his skating isn't amazing. He's still winning battles against men at such a young age. Um, you know when I talk to scouts around the league, I hear like a David Krejci comparable being used for this guy, um, and I see a guy with a lot of potential and a guy who just keeps getting better. And I, you know, I, I. Don't think I'm outside of the consensus of people in the league that I talk to that I think this is one of the premium young players in the NHL. You know, we could probably even do something bigger on on Dallas on this conversation here with, with some of the talent that they brought in. A lot, I mean, obviously, I think the storyline on Dallas for for a couple of years has been how good this, you know, Jason Robertson, Jake Otten, Jameer Heiskanen class is. But these few years since where they've picked up Wyatt Johnson, they've picked up Logan Stankovic. Rupe Hintz is a hell of a pick, too. Rupe Hens, right. I mean, they have found a way to really turn this over and get some really good prospects with only really having the one super high pick. Right. And I think you kind of like, there is a trend here where if you go back to when Jim Neal was in Detroit, that was his forte, right? Was the draft. Yep. And it seems like, you know, him and, and some of the people he brought over with him from Detroit have had a lot of success in Dallas. You know, we still have to see you know, what Johnson ends up ultimately becoming and what, you know, Logan Stankoven or Thomas Harley or Liam Bischel end up becoming. But yeah, I think if you're a Dallas Stars fan, you have to really like the foundation that's been built here right now. And another team, and we've already touched on Dylan Cousins, but Buffalo is a team that is really starting to have some 
some high pieces. Everyone knows Rasmus Dahlin, who, you know, on this list is, is number one. I think that's uh, a great debate to have between Dahlin and Jack Hughes right now, two of the very best players in the NHL this season. Yeah. I mean, you mean, yeah, I think he referenced to Dom's awards watch list. I think he has Jack Hughes in the heart conversation and he has Dahlin in the Norris conversation. So I think- And if I voted today, they'd both be on those ballots for me. Oh, 100%. And it's like, yeah, I think you could have really interesting debates on which one is better. I mean, they're both outstanding hockey players. But Buffalo, like you start to, to, to scroll this list a little bit and you have the two, uh, you know, left defensemen, number one overall picks, Dalian and Owen Power in the top 10. You got Dylan Cousins in there, like we said. But you've also got Yuri Kulich is in that picture. Matias Samuelson makes a big jump from unrated into, I think he's around the top 50 for you here now. Like the 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 weight is paying off for the Sabres here. Uh, Jack Quinn, Paterka on that Cousins line have been yep. excellent this year. Uh, and I, you know, they obviously have really talented players who maybe haven't either made the team or haven't hit their potential like Peyton Krebs. You know, you have a top 10 pick in Matthew Savoy still waiting in the wings there that I think given the offensive success of this team, you can afford to be very patient with a guy like that. Yep. Uh, you know, they have they obviously picked Noah Oslin in, in the draft last year too with, with, with a high pick. Um, there, there is a lot of, good things going on in Buffalo right now. Not every one of those young guys are going to hit, but you, you want to give yourself a lot of bullets uh, for those scenarios. And I think, you know, you're starting to see, at least at the NHL level, the offensive part of it start to really pay off. And if, you know, if they find a way to keep the puck out of their net, this could be a really dangerous team for a long time. One of the things I was thinking about as we were prepping for the show here was, you know, how many teams right now would be would not trade places with the Buffalo Sabres. The Buffalo Sabres probably aren't going to make the playoffs this year, but they are one of the highest scoring, if not, I think as of a few days ago, they were the highest scoring yeah. team in the NHL. To have this kind of farm system coming, uh, this kind of contract situation coming, you know, obviously you got the Jeff Skinner contract, but I think it honestly gets wiped out by the Tage Thompson contract at this point. How many teams would not trade places with the Buffalo Sabres as of today, January 10, 2023? gotta be a really small number like really i think you might really, count it on a hand yeah like you know you obviously like like i think if you're carolina you, you really like where you are yep i think even though New jersey's probably pretty happy yeah edmonton probably just because the, the special players they have there um i'm, I'm running out of names i mean I, here's one like toronto you, you trade if you're toronto toronto could be the best team in the league this year that's possible they could yeah i think you, yeah i think you gotta Burn, you know, burn in the hand type of thing. I think, yeah, you gotta, that's you gotta, fair. Yeah, Colorado. I think, yeah, I think you got to be happy with the success you've already had, and as opposed to the success you could have. It's not much more than that, though. Like, you know, I, I think you're in single digits. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think yeah. so. So, good news for the people out in Buffalo. I want to talk about some more of the people who have really climbed this list for you, Corey. Uh, and I think kind of a, a theme trend wise w- would be kind of these mobile defensemen. Kevin Korczynski makes a huge jump from. Outside the top 100, Pavel Minchikov, another guy from this most recent draft class, makes a big jump. Caden Gooley makes a similar jump. All three of these guys were outside the top 100 preseason, I believe, inside or at least right around the top 40 for you now. Yeah, and it was, this is something we talked about. I forgot what episode we've done. We've done a lot of episodes lately. I think it was what you got wrong, prospects you were wrong about. Yeah. Right. I just forgot when we did that one. <laughs> uh, that, yeah, there was a – obviously, I need to make a systemic change in how I was addressing these you know, the big mobile or even the big mobile physical defenseman. You know, Samuelson and Gooley both are big guys who play at a, you know, a really high-end brand physicality. 
Korczynski is a 6-2 high-end skating defenseman. So I think those were systemic changes. You even saw like at the top of the list, Jake Sanderson, even though the, the delta in terms of the pure number wasn't great when you I think he moves up like 15 spots, which is significant at, at, at that part of the list that, you know, I know I had to make a value adjustment for those type of players. And I think you you saw that there with, with those guys that, you know, moving Sanderson, Gooley, Korczynski into a place where they're more uh, traditionally valued within the league and more in line with their pro projection. So you got Korczynski, Adam, and Chikov, but I think you could put those two guys really as a package. And where do they go? Korczynski goes seven in the, in the draft last year. Inchikov, I believe, went 10. Are they still – I mean, where, where are they going if you redo that draft today? It's been not that long, but – No, but they both had excellent seasons. Obviously, Korczynski didn't really play much at the World Juniors, and he kind of fought his way down the lineup there a little bit. Uh, but, but when he was watching in Seattle, he's been lights out good. Um, they're a little different where I think Korczynski is a little bigger and a better skater than Minchikov. Minchikov is a good skater, but, but Korczynski is an, an exceptional – skater and whereas Minchikov I think has a little bit more pure offense a little bit more skill pure scoring ability in his game uh, both I think would go top 10 if you read it we did that draft I think it would be when we did that draft I think there was a consensus top two defenseman like oh it's Yurichek and and Nemec and then and then we'll see what happens after that I think those two guys would be closer to those guys right now I think they would be Instead of a group of two, it would be it would be a group of four. And then who you like best out of the four? I, I mean, to me, Juracek's having a year that would be hard to dock him at all from from sure from where he went. But uh, yeah, no doubt. Um, maybe one more guy we can kind of you talk about kind of this player adjustment you've made. Alexander Nikishin is a defenseman playing in Russia right now, Carolina prospect. He's moved up into into around your top twenty five here, core. I think he's at number twenty three. Um, but he seems like he may be one of the very top defense prospects not in the NHL right now. Yeah, I mean, you can reasonably argue. I believe he's either 20 or 21 years old right now in the KHL. And I think you could argue he's been the best defenseman in the KHL this season. He is playing big minutes uh, for arguably the best team in that league, Scott St. Petersburg. Uh, he's a 6'3", six, 6'4", six, mobile defenseman who is really physical and we've always kind of known those parts about his games. What's been different this year is the offense. His offensive game has t- has jumped up significantly from where he was as a junior and definitely what he's shown before as a professional. He's one of the top scoring defensemen in that league. You watch him. He's making all kinds of plays uh, from the offensive blue line, uh, you know, whether you know pinches or finding seams. Uh, he's his shot as a threat. So this is this is a guy who looks like a really two really good two way defenseman. As a pro, I think he'll be an excellent NHL player. Um, and it's just a matter right now for Carolina of, of when can you get this guy signed because he is signed now for several more years in the KHL. And his situation reminds me, not too dissimilar to Kirill Kaprizov's situation. Not sure if he'll be that that high end, but but he is a really good hockey player. Maybe similar more to an Evgeny Kuznetsov type of prospect when he when there was a long wait for him many years ago. So if you're a Carolina team that is squarely in your contention window right now, do you look at a situation like that and see, okay, well, right now I'm okay for at least the next year or two beyond this because I've got my whole defense core, uh, at least the top four locked in when you think about Slavin, Burns, Shea, and Pesci. And that's this is really the window. Like It seems like these couple, two, three years are. Or do you look at it as uh, – and, and then Nikishin is going to replace those guys? Or do you look at it as, so I should – 
trade Nikishin and try to get something that can help me right now in my window. It's that's really tough to trade that kind of player though, right? Like I yep. know like he's in Russia and who knows when you're actually gonna get him signed and get him over here, but like like we have him rated, I think, right next to Keandre Miller on that list. And I I can't imagine there's there's any package right now that you could offer the Rangers to to get Key. Obviously he's in the NHL, not outside the NHL, but like that's a special type of player that it would need to be such a it wouldn't have to be like one of those like oh it's a nice rental package like oh a, you know a good top four defenseman and whatever kind of thing. It had to be, you would need to get like some a really special piece coming back your way. Yeah, uh, you're right. It's right next to Keandre Miller, right behind Bowen Byram, and only a couple behind David Juracek. So that's the class that that we're talking about, uh, Nikishin. And although uh, yeah, and I think all in the same tier as well. So uh, interesting stuff uh, for the Carolina prospect. And Carolina's amassed so many of those. Uh, kind of early mid-round picks that you figured you would find a couple of pieces like this and, and this looks like one of them. We're going to take a quick break right there and we'll be right back. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Corey, let's pick this back up. And let's pick it back up with the most recent draft class, because I think one of the big storylines as we entered the 2022 draft was a little bit of drama at the top that that obviously came to fruition on, on draft night with Yuri Slavkovsky going number one after what seemed like more than a year of, of Shane Wright <laughs> to number one talk. Uh, on this list, it doesn't look like you've necessarily kind of closed the book on on the debate here. You've got Slavkovsky is still, I think, the highest of the of the bunch, but then you've got Cooley and Juracek right back to back after him and, and Shane Wright not too far behind. Um can we just kind of talk about kind of what's the how's the 2022 class taken shape for you? I mean, obviously, Juracek moving to three feels like a story. Uh, Shane Wright being right about where where uh, he went. But what's kind of your storyline out of the 2022 class so far? Well, I think what made the 2022 draft discussion so interesting is we we thought that it was a really close race at the top, despite what some of our you know some other people might have said at the time to to you and me or just just in general that you know this was a very close discussion there were reasonable alternatives you could have gone in different directions at number one or number two and and we've seen now six months since then there has been no one player that has emerged and clearly said i'm the best guy from this draft like i know for example there's been some harping on the play of your isofkovsky in montreal that isn't that he's not maybe stood out on a consistent basis he is an 18 year old in the NHL, mind you, but I, I yeah. get it. Like you when you pick number one, you're expecting a guy to come in and be, and be impactful. But then I say, okay, you know, sure, I, I get that. But but then tell me who they should have picked otherwise. Who's having this amazing season? 
And you look around the league, and uh, Cooley's having a very nice year. Logan Cooley's having a very nice year in college. He's not lighting the world on fire for a guy who's a pure offense guy. He's having a great year, though. He's a great player. Like I mean, on my list, those two players couldn't be closer to each other. Um, Juracek's having a fantastic season. Great year in the American League. Great world junior. You know, you can quibble maybe on the skating. That's the one concern there a little bit. That would be different from Slavkovsky and and from Cooley that you maybe wonder a little bit about his, about his ultimate pro upside. But he's he's right there with those guys. You know, Wright's pretty much been the same guy he was last year. Not a whole lot's changed in that data. You know, Korczynski, Mitch Kovic mentioned having a great year. It's not sure it'd be good enough to say they're the best player in the draft. Nemich, you know, obviously again, you know, similar kind of player you saw last year. So. It's still a very unclear draft class. A lot of very good hockey players, but I can't sit here today and tell you, oh, yeah, well, that guy has clearly looked like the guy from the draft. What I think is kind of interesting is, especially, and we talked about this at the time, when Owen Power did not go straight into the NHL. I think it's a good thing for young hockey players right now that it is becoming more normal, and we're going to see it shattered next year when Connor Bedard comes in and is awesome. But it's a good thing that guys are not having to be expected to be rushed and be stars in the NHL right away. I think this is a positive development for hockey prospects. Yeah, I mean, you look at that Michigan class. You look at Veneers and Power. They, they both go back for an extra year. You both could have argued they were ready at the time. You know, they both played versus men, Power, you know, and, and Veneers both went to the World Championships. Power was excellent at that World Championships. But then they both go back for an extra year of college, and they step in as rookies, and they are impactful rookie players right away. Absolutely. Um, I want to talk about some guys who did go right into the NHL and, and we, we'll, we'll broaden it beyond these two, but the New York Rangers guys, we talked about Alexi Lafreniere on the last episode, Capo Caco, they're still right around the top 30 for you. So still a believer in both of these guys. We can, let's bring Quinton Byfield into this conversation who takes a different route and Shane Wright, who we're now seeing going back to junior. How do you size up these guys and how do you think kind of the path that they've taken inform how they got, kind of got to the same spot on your list, basically. Right. I think with those guys, you still have to remember how young they are. And you can like play all kinds of hypotheticals of, well, where would this guy be if he had taken this path? Um, but you still have to remember what Byfield is, what Lafreniere is, what Kako is. And Kako has been playing a lot better of late and scoring and showing kind of that skill power combination you saw when he was a young player and maybe take him a little bit more time to develop. Byfield, after going down in the American League, playing very well down there. Now he's up. Now he's playing regular minutes with the Kings again, and we'll see whether that persists or not. But there's still a lot of tools there. Um, but like, there's some guys right around this, this same range of the list who are either not in the NHL or just making the NHL. And you there is a degree of patience that you, that you need to have. Like, I don't know, like Anton Lindell, who's a couple of spots behind those guys, is not having a huge year in the NHL right now. But I'm not hearing anybody tell me about how like Lindell's a bust. But yeah. He's having a very good year. He's a great, very young, young player and he's had poor and roll for Florida, but he wasn't picked first overall or, or second overall. So there, there's a difference there. Um, so I get, especially with Lafreniere, the lack of progress is concerning. We talked about that before. Even with Byfield, the lack of progress is a little is a little concerning, but I think you've got to wait a little bit before you start sounding the alarm that these are no longer very good hockey players with excellent track records. Who, yeah, at some point the evidence will become overwhelming if things really don't start going well. At some point, 
But when you're 20, 21 years old, that point is not there yet for me. Well, especially for the guys who do go straight into the NHL. I mean, you look at Shane Wright this year and and he goes to spend his five games or whatever that he's allowed to spend in the AHL and he has four goals in those five games. If Shane Wright was on that kind of pace over a full season right now, I think the the discourse around him would be a lot more generally positive. You look at a guy like Capocacco, who who has been in the NHL since he arrived, and I think by now he's finally at a point at age, I think he's 21 now, maybe he might be 22, but I think he's 21. Like the vibe around him is much more positive than it was a year ago. And I, I think that is something we need to be mindful of in general with the guys who do go straight to the NHL, that it is just going to take him more time. I think a year from now, who knows what the discourse around Alexi Lafreniere is going to be, but I'm willing to bet it's going to be more positive than it was last week. Right. You know, and same draft class, same thing being late birth dates. Lafreniere's got 18 points in 40 games. He goes first overall. In the same draft, Jack Quinn, who I think the Bides around him. him Much more positive. Very positive. He has 17 points in 33 games. Yeah. It's a higher point per game. Slightly. Pace, yeah. But like it's these are not dramatic worlds apart by any means. And I and I and I love Quinn. Quinn's very highly rated. He's in the same tier as, as Lafreniere, which would have been a very hot take a couple of years ago, but is no longer based on what Quinn has done over the last two years in, in pro hockey. But again, these are still very young players. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one guy who I don't know that we've ever really given the full shine to on, on this podcast is Noah Dobson, a guy who turned in a 50-point season from the blue line for the Islanders last year. And he is on pace to do it again. Um, obviously, a, a top 12 pick. Noah Dobson always been a highly regarded prospect. But what's been the jump that you've seen him make? And and obviously, he's now on a point on your list where, you know, he's right next to Owen Power, like a, that level of defenseman, uh, kind of all-star caliber player for you. I, I think when you watch Dobson in junior, he was like kind of a weird one. When you watched him earlier in the year, when he was a draft, so many years ago already, you saw a big mobile guy. You weren't sure if there was offense there. And then the year kind of went on and he was on – and he ended up just – you know, really standing out over the course of his draft. You're elevated from a guy who might be a, you know, good player to a to a high draft pick. And now you're starting to see this 6-4 mobile defenseman who's making plays and playing big minutes and shutting down off and the opponent's top lines. And there was so much to like there. But you, I wasn't always 100% sold. Like when I went to the World Juniors the year after, I wasn't always sold that the offense was going to be – I thought there would be good offense – I didn't think he was going to do what he is now, where he is a hugely important part of that power play in, in New York and is a premier puck-moving type of defenseman who – and the shot was always a, a weapon in junior and it's proven to be a weapon in the NHL as well. If anything, I'm surprised that he's not like a penalty killer at that level. I know they have a lot of really good defensemen in New York. And and you know they, they, there's guys who can be matchup guys there. I thought he could be that guy. He still might be that guy with time, but if anything, I thought that would be more his role than what he is now, which is a you know a, an offensive weapon type of player to go with the size and the skating. How about Mason McTavish, another guy who you know you, you talked about the delta doesn't get that big when you get up high in the list, but he's a guy who goes from outside the top twenty to now he's knocking on the door of the top ten. Right, and now you can start. I think when you talk around the league, you could start having reasonable debates, which I think a year or two ago, you especially a year ago, you would have people got a little squirmish on who's better, him or Zegras. Yeah. And I think talk to NHL people, like they're they're not 
100% convinced that McTavish in five years won't be the better of those two players. Well, that was always the thing with him, right? Is he's kind of your, if, if you're projecting him, you're thinking of him as hopefully kind of your Ryan O'Reilly player. And Trevor Zegers is not in that mold. But to have both of them, I think that's kind of, you don't, if you're Anaheim, who fucking cares who's better? You got both, right? Like you want both of them. Right. You know, it's, and nowhere even close to the same thing, but it's kind of how, you know, Pittsburgh always had Crosby and, and Malkin. One, right. was, one was a more complete player. One was the, the pure offensive player. Um, in this sense, you know, maybe that is a little bit more similar with the, with the O'Reilly, O'Reilly example you, you gave where, yeah, no, I, Zegers may never be your greatest two-way player you're ever, you're ever going to see. He may not even be when they're ready to contend and who knows when that's going to be. But, you know, one day in the future when they're ready to contend, you, I'm not even 100% certain he's going to be a center on a, on a, at least on a contending team. But the rise of McTavish now gives you those options at the top of the line because he is that prototypical number one all-around centerman. Yeah, no, I, I think Anaheim's in a good spot here. And, and Olin Zellweger is a guy who dips a little bit on this list, but still there, there's a presence here for, for the Anaheim Ducks up high on this list. And, Min- and Minchikov and, you know, right. unfortunate about the Jamie Drysdale injury this season. And, you know, we'll see what he is when he eventually comes back and how his next season goes. But I think him and Minchikov are, are two excellent uh, D prospects to have, and they're going to have a very high pick again this year. And so we'll see what the next step in that rebuild is for them of the three centers at the top of the draft. Anaheim could, could obviously pick top three in this draft. Which of the three are you picking at center over Zegras? And which of the three would you flex onto Zegras's wing? Bedard, uh, Carlson and Fantilli. Right. Well, I mean, you could talk to people in the league who are hundred percent convinced that Carlson and or Bedard are going to be centers in the NHL. That's so, what I mean. that, yeah. yeah. So, like, so which would you rather be a center than Zegras and who would you rather I think if you, I would rather have Carlson down the middle as opposed to Z. I think, um, but I think I probably would want Bedard on Z's wing because I think he could be kind of like the goal scoring threat to to, yeah. to, to Zegers' playmaking. Um, especially if you already have McTavish, right? Like you can like, there's a, you have that. I would rather have McTavish in the middle than Carlson. I think if you're trying to project out the lines a little bit. Yeah, but but again, these are all like hypotheticals. We'll see what we'll see what time. I just can't see a world where Fantilli is in an NHL center. I think he ha- he like checks every single box, and you will you will move Zegras for, to put Fantilli in the middle in the NHL. Yeah, man, Bedard and Zegras on a line would be highlight dreams, and it would be so Anaheim would be on Sports Center every single night at that point. It's and it's not far outside the realm of possibilities. No, it's not. Uh, let's talk about a couple more teams here who, who are in this rebuild state. You expect to see big presences from them high on this list. Uh, Detroit, obviously one of them. Moritz Sider, you know, takes some, he was number two on your midseason. He goes back to number eight, still, you know, within the top 10. Uh, likewise, Lucas Raymond goes from fringe of the top 10 to end of the top 20. But also some risers here with, with Carter Mazur, Elmer Soderblom. How do you kind of stack up Detroit, especially as we talk about the Buffaloes, the New Jerseys, the Anaheims, these teams on the same timeline? I think you have to generally like the state of the system right now. I think you have to like that you're seeing some guys with positive trends who are not the premium picks. It's not Simon Evanson. It's not Marco Casper. Both of them are very highly rated prospects still. And holding you, steady in your ranks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're great prospects. You, know, you think they're going to be upper half of the lineup guys, important parts of good teams. But you have to like what... Carter Mays. Carter Mays has been one of the best players in college hockey this season. Has 
not only is he scoring, but he has pro traits with the skating and, and the compete to go with all the goals he's scoring this year. So you're really excited about that. I think you look at, you know, I've never been the biggest William Valinder guy before, but I think you look at what he's doing with Rogel this season and he's playing big minutes and he's scoring a lot and he's a big part of that power play with the go with the size and the skating. And it's hard not to think, okay, I see a path now for you that I didn't always see for you to become an important player on an NHL team. And obviously Soderblom, you know, his skating is going to, is, is, has been and continues to be a work in progress. And, you know, I know he was kind of up and down a little bit in the first half of this year, but he's on a very positive trend. And and you have to imagine he'll be a part of their lineup one day. So in that sense, very positive developments. Uh, on the other hand, the guys at the top of the lineup are the ones who will ultimately determine whether you win a championship or yes. make the playoffs or not. And how, from your perspective, have you been – handling the discourse on Cider and Raymond this season with with your Detroit readers. It's been fascinating because I think there has been frustration. I think it's warranted in in a lot of ways, but I also think there is you expect some sophomore slumps, right? Like you're not going to have straight the arrow pointing up uh for most players, right? In in the NHL and I think especially with the kind of usage that Cider in particular gets, he's getting the toughest matchups. Uh Dom's got the the little bars on, on his player cards that and his is maxed out. I mean, we mentioned, you know, the Calder finalists, you know, the other one was, was Zegris. He's not really yeah. having the big year you thought he was going to have. He's having a great, very nice year, but you know, I think you would have thought there'd be a little bit more progression there. But I think your point is, is an important one because it, I don't have any doubt that still more Sider is still a top pair defenseman. A number, I still think he's a number one defenseman, but if you're the Red Wings, you really need him to be an elite number one defenseman. You need him to be like a top 10 defenseman in the NHL. And I think you can make a similar, albeit I think the, you know, you're probably not talking about Lucas Raymond as one of the 10 best forwards in the NHL, but you need him to be like a really high level winger. And if he's just a top six or even top line winger, like then you're missing a piece again. Right. And so the stakes are huge there. And I think that's why the reaction has been as kind of urgent as it has been from the Red Wings fan base. I think they know that. Um, but it, it, you know, it's your favorite phrase, Corey, time will tell, like, we're not going to know what it's going to be for these guys based on you know, the game that they're playing against the Maple Leafs or whatever, that we're sure. going to know it in, in two, three years. Cider is the one that, that's the most interesting just because the stakes with him in particular are the highest. Because I think when we were, we were, you know, looking at the end of last year when he won the Calder, when he was just lights out good, you know, big minutes, 50 points, superb physical and defensive play. You're like, oh, okay, this is the next guy. Like he's on the Chris Pronger trajectory. Like this, he looks like he's got everything. And now, but like these were the discussions we had with Cider a little bit over the previous years when maybe there was like, okay, yeah, he looks like an excellent prospect, but here's why it may not be the perfect outcome. And it was, um, we weren't always a hundred, I wasn't, and some scouts I talked to weren't hundred percent convinced this was going to be a high end offensive guy in the NHL. He has the big offensive year last year, this year, not as much kind of on and off the PP one a little bit, although I think it's been more consistent of late, you know, what do you think is this going to be this guy's ultimate offensive trajectory? Well, I think part of it, you know, he he was on the first power play last year. He's not this year. And when I look long-term for the Red Wings, I still don't necessarily see who should have power play one over him. Right. But if that guy comes into the fold, that affects the the point producing ceiling. Right. But I, I've always kind of felt like he slots into kind of the Miro Heiskanen range where in a given year, you're probably somewhere between 35 and 55 points 
can you get hot for a playoff run and and be dynamic? And you know, he was a point per game player those playoffs. Heiskanen was right. Yes, but I don't think you have you know Kale McCarr point per game there with Moritz Sider. Right. I don't think you necessarily need him to be because I think he's a a bigger presence, obviously, um, than McCarr is defensively. Right. Yeah. No. For sure. You know, he's big and really physical and 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 skates well. So you know, he's he's you obviously see a lot of defensive value there. But yeah, I think that's kind of the debate with Sider is like you know, is does he you know, where does he ultimately fit in with the offense? Because even if he is just, you know, obviously just Miro, he- Miro Huskin, I believe he's producing more than he ever has because Klingberg's yes. gone. And that's, you know, that's obviously important context. But yeah, I think if you just get pretty good offense from Sider with his defensive value, he's going to be a superstar. Um, but like I said, that's interesting following that because I think of with Raymond, he is purely offense. So there's not really a whole lot of two-way values. So you need him to score a lot. But the stakes See, are- I think there can be. He's not big or anything like that. I know he's not super fast, super big. He's really smart. It would not surprise me to see him like kill penalties. And he competes hard too. Yeah. I think you know. I not mean to disparage Raymond. I love. I, I love the. Yeah, no, no, I, just, I know, I know. Yeah, but I just mean like with with Cider, the stakes are just higher. Like yeah, you you need that guy to be the star you thought he was going to be a couple, you know last year or even two years ago. I mean, entering the year, I think you had reasonable hope that this was a legit like franchise player. And I think you can still have that hope for sure, but I just think yeah, like that and, that's why the stakes are higher. And that's where he's rated on my list right now. Like he's still yep. rated in that, you know, in the same tier as Zegris and Stutzla and Andre Sveshnikov. Like these are special high value players and organizations. But he's the last one on the list too because there is starting to be some at least some minor concerns. I mean, so he's a 50 point guy last year. If he's let's say he tops out at 55 points, like 55 is his career high. Is that you're confident enough that with with what the defense is, is that enough, or does it is it yeah, even better? I think if he's sitting between thirty five to forty five in a given year with the defensive value, that's still a that's still a, a mega piece. Okay. But if he's like twenty five to thirty five, then maybe you're like it's, it's not as impactful as I once hoped. Because what's Jacob Slavin, right? Jacob Slavin's never been like, no that crazy offense. No, but you probably wouldn't talk about him as the top three top. Some people might have him top five defensemen. Some maybe not. Right? Like yeah. that's he's had that's, he's had a fifth place Norris finish. But I get your point. Like it's not consensus, and that's not every year. Like it's more often like between nine and eighteen. Like most people would have Charlie McAvoy ahead of him. I think on a consistent basis. If you ask him to rank the defensemen. Yep. Yep. And then and that, and that, so maybe that's the difference between like a Slavin and an Aaron Ekblad, who I think kind of is in that you know right around that top five every year that he's healthy. So yeah. All right. We won't. We won't. Uh, we're on too much more for, for Detroit, but I do want to go to another Atlantic Division team that, that's on this rebuild track in the Ottawa Senators, who, if you go back and you do that 2020 draft, Corey, based on your rankings, it looks like Ottawa got the two top players out of that draft in Tim Stutzel and Jake Sanderson. As it stands right now, it is looking that way. And it's hard to really argue for anybody else. Like I know like Byfield and Lafreniere are, are, are very talented players. Raymond is a, is a very talented player. But you look at the toolkits and what they're doing in the NHL right now. And both Stutzla and Sanderson have very unique athletic toolkits and they are performing at high levels. So I think I, I don't see an argument right now that they aren't the guys. Who else needs to, needs to be kind of the guys you see take it, you know, one more step for Ottawa in, in this rebuild. I think we've seen a lot of their big guys have now debuted. Um, you know, Shane Pinto is, is high on your list as well. Uh, who's the most important guy for for Ottawa here over the next year or so to take a step? Is it Tyler Boucher? Is it you know Yarventi? Like who are you looking at here? I think obviously Boucher 
health permitting is an important piece. And the health is a, is a big component there with, with Boucher. Got injured again towards the end of the World Juniors. I haven't heard a prognosis on how significant that is, but he's been frequently injured, which has been an issue with his development. I think uh, maybe not the most common name, but I think Mad Shogart is going to be a really important piece for them long term in terms of figuring out their goaltending long term. He is a six seven athletic goalie. Um, I, when I've watched him in the American League over the last season a bit, when he's been healthy, I've been impressed by him. Um, I think they if getting that guy to hit will be pretty important. And then probably in a second tier would be, would be Greg. Although I think we feel pretty confident Greg's going to play. Yeah. And he's kind of kind of got that Dawson Mercer-ish quality to him, right? Like that that's the piece not, he brings. Yeah, not not as big as him, but sure. like, yeah, he is skilled and competes really hard. And there is some offense there that yeah, I think most scouts I talk to feel like Greg's going to play. All right, one more guy before uh, before I let you and Chris uh, take it away with the BioSteel game. Um, Jimmy Snuggerud is a guy who who goes obviously I think twenty three in the twenty two draft, and if we redo it today, I gotta think he's in the top ten here uh, in a redraft. Yeah, it was interesting. So I sometimes send this list around just to NHL people in the just to get feedback, and you know, and the and in the course of um, doing this, one of the interesting comments I kept hearing is like, "Wow, you really have." Snuggerud way behind Logan Cooley. And when you've watched in between college and this year, it hasn't looked that much different. And that doesn't mean to say they're saying that Snuggerud's in the same conversation as Cooley, but they're like, you know, it shouldn't be that big a gap. In, in, and it's, it's fair to say when you've watched Snuggerud, I mean, he's showing a lot of offense. He works really hard. He's a good sized winger. The, the issue with him from his pro projection is his skating has never been a strength. Still isn't a strength. That's the concern with him with the Blues. But I mean, everything he's done this year between being one of the very best players in college and then being one of the very best players at the World Juniors makes you think that the Blues have a potential quality top six winger on their hands. Who was your comp on Snuggerud coming into the draft? Do you remember? Uh, was it Toffoli? Tanner Pearson. I was just going to say, though, like it, to me, David Perron's a guy who doesn't skate great. And, you know, maybe it's just the St. Louis factor here, but. You know, I, I wonder if if Jimmy Snugger can't be St. Louis's new David Perron. Yeah, no, there's a, there's a there's a, that's that's potential outcome, and maybe I should have maybe not used Pierce, and that's probably a little harsh. Maybe like I said, maybe I wasn't trying to set per- you up for disaster to, there. I was to, genuinely to, asking to, to Foley or Perron maybe fit better than Pearson does right now. But uh, obviously, if me and the rest of the league knew what was going to happen there, maybe I would have. Oh no doubt, you, things would have gone a little bit differently. No, I was not trying to troll you there. I was genuinely. Was, I, no, I thought sure. it was. I kind of thought it was Perron, but uh, just a couple letters off, honestly. So, uh, but a, a great ride. That just speaks to his rise, right? I mean, sure. he he's turned himself into a, a really high level prospect and and one that I think St. Louis badly needs. It's going to be interesting in St. Louis the direction yeah. that they could take here. Yeah, and I don't. Yeah, it's hard to tell what you would do in that position, right? Because like they don't have a great farm system. Like Snuggerud's a great player, but there's there's not a, there's not a lot coming there, and the teams. Got some talent, but you know, there's guys underperforming or getting on the older side, and it's. I think they should be better than they are right now. Like I look at the roster, and I just think they should be better. But like I said, I think Doug Armstrong and his group have a lot of challenging decisions ahead for them. If I put you in the GM chair, and and you've seen this this you know similar core take make a big turnaround and go in the Stanley Cup. But at the same time, you know 
the realities of the age, you know, the realities of some of these contracts, how aggressive are you going to be shipping guys out at this deadline? I mean, if you're in that chair, you need, it's, it's a lot, it's an ownership call more than a year call kind of you're thing, right. but Great uh, point. yeah, it's, it's interesting when you talk to people, when I talk to people who work in management, you, you would be surprised how many, how many of the decisions that you see NHL teams make and don't make actually comes down to the owner more than the management group. I, I and they made a lot of big commitments in the last couple of years, right? Like to, to Thomas, to Cairo, to Pareko, like to turn around and call this a rebuild all of a sudden. That would book Navish too. Like it would be challenging. I would, I would, I would want to let it ride out one more year. I think before I, before I pull the plug on the, on this group, even with the with the realities of the O'Reilly Tarasenko UFA. Yeah, no, I mean, those, I, th- I thought you were talking about like a wholesale. Like, no, I, shit, I am. Uh, I mean, I, I just am curious how, how deep it goes, but, but I hear Yeah, I mean, everyone knows you got to move your UFAs if you're yeah. actually not on the playoff picture anymore kind of thing, but I'm not yeah. like, I'm not sure about, I'm, I'm ready to move like a core piece that I've signed just quite yet. Because I still think that, especially the Thomas contract, if you wanted to move it, you could, but. I, I wonder what they do with the, you know, Bennington's kind of underperformed a little bit this year. Joel Hofer was excellent in the American League playoffs last year. He's been really good in the American League in the regular season this year. Good track record. Was the top goalie of the World Juniors a couple of years ago. I wonder when he comes into this picture. Yeah. Interesting stuff ahead in St. Louis. All right, uh, that's it for me. Corey and Chris are going to pick it up here now and tell you about the All-American game. Uh, so we'll let you get to that. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, everybody. Uh, We're going to have a unique segment here. Uh, we're recording this segment after the BioSteel All-American Prospects game. And at this time, Max Boltman is, is, I think he's on vacation in Europe, but he says he's working. Um, <laughs> regardless, there is no host now. So it's just Chris Peters and myself to discuss this game. So the inmates have officially taken over the asylum. And it'll just be us two right now to discuss uh, the All-American Prospects game. And, and we will discuss the All-American Prospects game. You know, we'll do the dance you expect of us. We'll discuss who was good. It was bad. Uh, but Chris, before we get to that and discuss the game, I want to discuss the game, meaning this game, the All-American Prospects game, which has taken a lot of twists and turns over the last few years. Uh, so for get a, maybe a brief history lesson for people who aren't as informed on, on this game, there used to be two American Prospects games or two Prospect games in America. There was the All-American Prospects game that took place in the fall for a couple of years usually in NHL buildings, and it comprised the NTDP, high school players, college players, 
and players in junior. It was meant to be the best American draft eligibles. Uh, the major con was it was very early in the draft process. And and because of that, maybe some guys that might have risen or fallen what weren't encompassed enough in those games. I don't believe, Chris might correct me if I'm wrong, I don't believe those games did very well with, on, in terms of broadcasting. Um, and obviously they were in NHL buildings and there was very few tickets sold to those games. I went to every single one of them. It was just par- pretty much parents and, and that was pretty much it in the stands. Uh, and then there was another game which was the USHL prospects game, which was the best draft eligibles in the USHL. Uh, no nation had to be tied to them to be in that game. And then USA Hockey and the USHL decided to, instead of having these two distinct games, we're going to have one. It's going to be USA Hockey and the USHL combining forces to have one showcase game, which has been the last three years, I believe, in Plymouth. It's been a combination of the NTDP and the best American-born prospects in the USHL. And uh, they've tried this game for three years, Chris. Uh, two years, I believe, they did it as the NTDP versus the USHL. And this year, they had it as kind of a, jo- a joint of the two, you know, random assortment of players. And every single time in the last three years, this game has sucked. It's <laughs> not a good hockey game. There is not enough talent on the ice. It is not a competitive hockey game. It's just, I don't think any of the scouts who I was talking to are really learning anything from these games. It's just not a good product. And it's frustrating because I think there is a way to do this right. I think there is a way to make this a good showcase game. But it wasn't what they've tried so far. The most, now... I'm not saying they need to go back to do their their own two games again. I like actually like this concept of having it in the middle of the year and and maybe doing it together because I don't think the USHL prospects game by itself was a very good game. I actually liked the USA game in the fall. I thought that was a good game. But I like that USA game had players from other leagues. And I like the USHL game had players that were not Americans in it. And I realized trying to get maybe Quentin Musty from Sudbury would be very difficult around this time of year. I don't think that's right. realistic. I don't think Charlie Strain was coming in from Wisconsin to, to play in this game. Uh, maybe it would be possible, but probably wouldn't. But if you're going to have this USHL slash USA showcase game, then make it the best players in the USHL in this game. You know, both, you know, definitely the guys who are drafted eligible this year. Michael Rabal should be in this game. Maxime Sturbeck should be in this game. Jaden Perron. All guys who could be rather high draft picks in this upcoming draft should have been in this game. And don't tell me that they're too proud to do this. They put Cole Sillinger in this game. And two weeks later, he was named to Canada's U18 team. So clearly <laughs> there's some wiggle room on this concept. <laughs> um, and, you know, honestly, like, and there's just so many guys on these rosters who are not, you know, good draft prospects. Who are may not. There's going to be a decent chunk of the guys who are in this game who aren't even going to get drafted. So why not put those guys in? If you're going to put Zeev Boyum, who's an underage, in, put Macklin Celebrini in this game. Put Artem Levshunov. Some will argue, well, then should you put like James Hagen and Cole Eisman in? Yeah, <laughs> sure. Why not? It's like, well, then you got to put the whole 17s in. No, you don't. Just have somebody rate the best players and put them in. And it may not be all about this year's draft, but it'll be a hell of a showcase event. It'll be a great game. It'll For TV, it'll be great. 
for, you know, to get the average fan educated on the best American prospects or the best players playing in, in America in the USHL. I think it would be a great showcase for the USHL to have those kind of talent in it. Anyways, that's the end of my rant. I don't know if Chris actually can say anything about this. Given well, <laughs> I do want to say a couple of things because I think the first thing is, is that the initial idea of the, of the, American, the All-American Prospects game was a good one. Yes. Um, it, having, having players from prep school up to college to major junior, it got guys like Jason Robertson in the game. It got guys like, uh, I think, like Jay O'Brien played in the game. Like, there were different players that... I think that Max were, Jones was in that game. Max Jones, yeah. Like, there were there were all these different players. And so you got to see the full landscape of USA Hockey. And that ultimately was the idea. I think Jim Johansson is the, you know, the, the great late Jim Johansson was... It was his brainchild of, of let's get these guys together. And I think NHL teams were also eager to have their buildings open uh, to the All-American Prospects game. The first year that, you know, they, they did it was, I believe, the Seth Jones draft year. That was a very popular game. Um, it, you know, it wasn't, it, again, it, the attendance wasn't huge and different things like that, but it was, it, it was something like you, and I think that, you know, people watching it, it had a little bit more cachet. And then I do, I also kind of miss the old USHL prospects game, just the simple USHL prospects game where you do get the best players. And I think you can still have some room for some of those guys that are, are second year eligibles, guys like Sam Harris and sure. others that have a chance I, to be drafted. I, I thought Michael Emerson was one of the best players in that game. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think giving the you know, the showcase of those those talents. And then also, yes, and I would also say, just like the in the Canadian Junior Hockey League, they would often have the under the best underager, you know, who was draft eligible the following year, but was probably going to college or something like a Dylan Holloway, would play in their top prospects game as well. And you want as many opportunities to put those players uh, in front of Well, Charlie Strammel was in last year's game. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's right. That's right. And as you mentioned, you know, Z Booyam this year. So, you know, but like having having those types of players, you want these showcase opportunities for your league. So I'll be interested to see kind of what the future holds. Um, the game has sponsorship. It has a TV, you know, it has a, it has a TV presence. Um, so those are positive things for USA Hockey and for the players that participate. But I would agree with you that, the, the actual game itself has kind of suffered. Now, they, I think it's better than when they had the NTDP versus yes. the, the, the USHL. The, the, that game, though this game was better than the last two. The last two were bloodbaths and they yeah. just were just really, it was, this was, wasn't good hockey, but those were, those was really not good hockey. Yeah. And I think the, the North American league, you know, they used to do that too. They would have their top, they would play like a tournament where yep. they'd have, you know, the NTDP teams play and, and that, that actually, that was actually at that at that point really good too. But um, even though the games could get a little bit lopsided, you were still getting a chance to see those players. Like I could also see, uh, you know, a USHL top prospects team versus the NTDP. I mean, I still think that would be pretty rough because you got a a, a a team that's been together all year and then a, an all star team. But I I would I would prefer as well. And this is as a as an American, as somebody that worked at USA Hockey. I, you know, I feel like you know, I want to see the best players that are playing within the United States. Those players, they might be transferred from other places, but they're currently playing on a, on a transfer agreement within the United States. They are part of USA Hockey's umbrella, yeah. whether or not they can represent them internationally. The CHL is not too proud to do that. Quentin Musty, he's hurt, so he won't be in the game in next week, but he would have been there and they would have proudly displayed him as a Sudbury Wolf. Yep, yep, absolutely, absolutely. And and that's and that's the you know and that's what I hope that we would we would be able to get to at some point. I think I, I would agree with you. I think that there there definitely needs to be some massaging of this game because 
you know, I've been to them. I've been to many of them as well. And, and in terms of the best experience that I've had at one of these things, I think it was the one in Minnesota. Yeah. Um, was, you know, that, that, was, that was, was that the old one class with all like with, with, with Boldy yeah. and Zegers. Yeah. And Matt, all those Bo- Matt Boldy was the, uh, yeah. Matt Boldy was the MVP of that game. And uh, Jack Hughes was in that game. Jack Hughes. Yeah. I mean, and, and that was a great experience because then we saw all of those players. We saw Nick Robertson. We saw Artie Kaliev. We saw players that were high end, uh, prospects for the draft, also within USA Hockey's umbrella. Logistics of something like that, especially in the like post-pandemic, hopefully we can get back to something like that. The timing of that game, as you mentioned, Corey, is going to be the issue because I think the only time to have it is that early season sure. time, and it's it's yeah. not the best time to do uh, it. Top all the iterations game. of the game, I liked that one the best. Um, yeah. Maybe you got to put it in a junior ring because it didn't look because the optics of it in the NHL ring kind of sucked. Yeah, you can uh, put that game right in the USA in USA Hockey Arena or travel it around to various junior buildings where there might be some more interest. Yeah, I said I'm not saying this game is a bad idea. I, I want these showcase games. And I think it's good to have these showcase games for the average fan to get exposure to a lot of these prospects. But I think there needs to be either minor to significant changes done because the actual product has underwhelmed that they've tried and whether it's swallowing the pride on the only USA players front or just making some changes in terms of who's actually eligible to play in this thing and in terms of ages, you know, such as putting in, you know, top underage USA players. Uh, I think they need to make some, some adjustments to the way this game is actually played. And, and with that said, let's actually talk about this game, <laughs> uh, which I, uh, there were four guys in this game that we think have pretty strong chances to go in the first round of the upcoming draft, all from this year's U.S. NTDP group. That is Will Smith, Ryan Leonard, Gabe Perot, and Oliver Moore. Uh, who did you think was the best of those four players in this game? Uh, well, you know, I mean, Will Smith got the MVP award. He did have the two goals. I think the guy that most consistently popped on a shift-to-shift basis for me was Oliver Moore. The I agree. Speed. Yeah, the speed, the the intensity that he plays with, the skill level that he has, his goal scoring ability, the goal that he scored, just a really nice catch and shoot where he's kind of a his stick position wasn't like in the optimum stick position to make the shot, but his it was it was a, a quick shot and he really got rid of it well. Um, so to me, it I thought that Smith and you know you were there, I was I was watching at home. I had some family obligations, couldn't actually go see it live, but he. You know, seeing uh, seeing Oliver Moore and Will Smith kind of do the things that we've expected, come to expect them to do, uh, that was that was that was not really a surprise. Um, you know, Smith ended up getting the two goals, one of which was on a penalty shot, and then Moore to me was the guy that was just consistently like, this is the kind of guy that you know is is really trending up in this class, and he has been all season. Yeah, I actually didn't like Smith's game that much. But I mean, I only liked him in those two moments where he got the goals. I thought, in general, though, I thought his game was pretty sleepy um, in that in that prospect game. I agree with you. I think Moore was the best player in that game. I think, um, you know, I think you see it in NTDP games where I think he's there's been several games this year where he's outplayed Smith on the same team. But I think seeing him on a different team and going kind of you know in maybe different colors even make contrast that even more that hey there. Are, uh, you know, this guy is an excellent hockey player in his own right. He's the clear best pure skater in this draft. And it's not just skating. I think there's a lot of things I like about his game. I think he works pretty hard uh, with the program. He's often, you know, killing penalties and and playing in hard defensive situations. Uh, to, and he's producing, you know, not amazing offense as some of those other guys we've mentioned, but there's still good enough offense in his game. 
Um, and it's why I, I think, you know, this, I agree. He is a guy who is rising. I think this is a guy who is, um, in the argument to be discussed among the premium names in this draft class. Uh, I think he's a great player and I, it's interesting because I think when we started this year, I thought it was a, there was a presumptive number one with the USNTDP. I think everybody, myself and, and everybody I've talked to around hockey kind of presumed this is Will Smith's year. He's the guy. Nobody's close. Um, and I think somebody's close. Uh, and NHL Central Scouting actually released their list. I think they had Ryan Leonard one spot behind Will Smith. And I've talked to several scouts who think more is close to Smith. And, you know, whether it's one or the other, uh, I asked to pose a question to you. Is Will Smith's lock on being the top USA-born player in this draft in jeopardy? You know, I, I think being a lock at this point is is absolutely, um, you know, it, it kind of depends on who's there when they're picking. Like for me, Will Smith is still the top player. I think he's 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 got the most offensive upside. I feel like he is the guy that can impact the game offensively most significantly. That said, I think that Oliver Moore ha- has moved ahead. Like I had Ryan Leonard as the next guy. Oliver Moore has definitely moved in a in a positive direction, kind of closer into that that conversation. I think he is a top ten prospect the way that he's played throughout the season because of the versatility mm-hmm. because of the uh the the amount of strength that he built from last season to this season seeing that progression in his physical uh you know and he's still he's got ways to go but he's still like that was that was a pretty dramatic physical transformation for him from one year to the next so you know those those are the things i like let me drop a little nugget in here for you you could you could don't you know, answer today but you can percolate on it when you watch more over the next over the next few months how much does his skating remind you of Stutzel? Ooh, wow. Yeah, I mean, it is it is explosive, I, dynamic. You, oh. I, I, the way I look at the way his edges work, it, I definitely see some some rhymes. Yeah. There. Like, I think his, his skating is, is a pretty special, special attribute. It is. It is. Uh, it is. Yeah. And like, you'll I, never I, miss him. You'll never miss him in a game. No. And I think that's, you know, again, I think it's why he's, he's really appealing himself to, to scouts right now. Uh, for me, um, the gap between him and Smith is is thin right now, and I and that's been um, the understanding among several scouts that I've I've talked to as well. So again, whether it's him or whether it's him versus Leonard, I, I think there is at least more of a debate for the top U.S. born prospect in this year's draft yeah, uh, yeah, than I thought sure. there was going to be when we, especially after the Five Nations in November. I thought, okay, this is. That he's the guy, you know, no question about this. And like, yeah, that might be a question. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how the next few months go. How their February tournament goes. How the U eighteen World Championships go. And uh, you know, obviously, we'll see. You know, I don't know whether Danny Nelson is going to be a top six forward on that team going forward. So we'll see. You know, does more get new line mates? Maybe it's still Nelson. I don't know. Uh, yeah. But we'll we'll see what the next four months have in store for us on that front. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's going to be fascinating to watch because, I mean, it's it's been a it's that, you know, we didn't even talk about Gabe Perot uh, among them. But, you know, he's actually scored, I think, like like 15 some points in his last couple of games here, uh, last three games. I think if you look at like the NTDP's historical, like, you know, scoring rates, he's like top five, top three. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Like basically. There's only been one player in the history of the NTDP in their U18 season that averaged two points a game, and that was Jack Hughes. So, um, and and more is or Perot is like right there, and and Smith had been there for a good chunk of the season as well. 
who I've been told lately that I hate because I said Rasmus Dahlin is a marginally better hockey player. <laughs> than Jack Hughes? Oh, yeah. You do hate him. You must. Yes, I, uh, it's the yeah, only explanation. Because I said a defenseman who's might hit 100 points is a, is a really good hockey player. That's – I know. <laughs> I, I, yeah, no. I, I hate I, I hate Jack Hughes. I hate all the Hughes. That that's actually that's been that's been the track record of my writing actually. Um, but uh, but no no I I think Gabe is a really interesting hockey player. Um, I think the skating definitely worries a lot of people, especially yep. for five eleven for sure. And I, and I think I don't mind his effort, but I think I wouldn't call him like a physical player either, or you know a two way player. So I think you got to really in love with the offensive abilities and i think this is going to be you know a scoring winger in the nhl a power play winger in the nhl and not just like one of those in and out of the lineup oh you like to have him when you're when you're not that good but when you're actually good you find somebody else kind of thing you know you, you gotta hope that this is a legit top six winger will be a top power play guy um and I, i'm not sure that's a consensus opinion but i think it's an opinion right. that's growing yeah, I mean, I would say he's probably decisively the fourth of the th- of the four that we're talking about. I'm not. Or would I'm, you? I'm not sure. It's decisive. I think uh, for me, I think I think him and Leonard are close personally. But yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree that they're close. I just think like consensus yeah. wise. Yeah. Yeah. Among the league, yeah, among the league people I talk to, yeah, I would say he's clearly number four. Yeah, and I think that's been the same with your discussions. Yeah. Yep. It has. Yeah, and I think if you know we were doing a mock draft, we would have him somewhere between. 15 to 25 i would say yeah right now yeah. in a in a mock draft uh yeah you know and maybe he made it made out the fourth american where do you where do you think strainwall goes right now man great question i mean i still think that there there is a chance that he can go in that late first round um you know i think yeah i think it yeah i mean i think it's kinda, there's still it's upside kinda, there it, it's kind of funny like he looked terrible in the first half of the year goes to the world juniors looks really promising First weekend back at Wisconsin, same yeah brutal, brutal play. Well, and I think I think part like the thing about Stramel that makes it tough is it's an environmental thing. Like with really, you watch their games and Cruz Lucich is probably the only other player on that team uh, outside of course and Kuhlman's. I'm, I'm talking more forwards. Cruz Lucius having you know they when they put them together, things started to open up a little bit more for for Stramel, but still like it's just not a very good hockey club, and it's yeah. It's hard to be a young a young freshman on a on a team that's struggling like they are. I just did a, a live room with our Columbus writer and Ports line, and we were getting asked about Coolmans, and I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's they never have the puck, you know. And so it's like, yeah, like, like he hasn't looked promising, but nobody's really looked like overly promising on on that team of late. Like, right. yeah, you can highlight a couple of guys who had nice years, but like, it's it, that's a, that's a tough situation right now in Wisconsin. Really yeah, it, tough. It, it is. It is. And, and you know, right now they have some decent recruits on the way, but they need they, a lot more. They, they always have one or two decent recruits. They, they yeah, don't they, have, they, they do. They, they yeah. don't. They, they've they lacked the guys who stay three or four years and are really good college players. Right. Yeah. Like the gap for right them for them, it's just about a gap between you. You get your Alex Turcotts, your Cole Caulfields, your Dylan Holloway's, all these different players. But then your second Keandre. tier is way further down. Yeah. yeah. Keandre Miller. Yeah. I mean, and. and you know, it's probably not a huge surprise that these guys go on to the NHL. They start playing with better players. They play better. You know, like, I mean, it's just, uh, it's just the way it goes. Except for Turcotte. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's – there are some mitigating circumstances there. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, no, I think that's all fair. Um, we'll see what the future is for Wisconsin this summer. 
chance of a coaching change, maybe. Yeah, I would think it's on the table. Yep, you know, and we'll, and we'll see whether that's you know, and it's. I don't think it's impossible to turn that franchise around. Like I, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. Strabel's going to you know be bad again next year. He's not going to score again next year. I, I think you look at Michigan State this year, and you know you make a couple of key personnel changes, a couple of key coaching changes, and and things can change rather quickly for a college program. It seems that way. Yeah, what a job that Adam Nightingale's done at Michigan State, which will uh, I'm sure just make. Since Max isn't here, we got to talk up Michigan State. And we should have done it while he was here to his face, but oh well. You know, it's, it's very unfortunate. And I think, you know, if presuming Sturback is a top two round pick, I don't think it's a conclusion he's a first rounder. I would get my best more if it's first, like the last couple of picks, but probably a second yeah. round, probably a second rounder. You know, when was, when was the last time Michigan State had a top two rounder F pick? <laughs> I don't know. They did have Dalton Lavalle at one point too, who was a first round draft pick. So he, he he was, but that that was a that was that was a long time ago in the galaxy, very far away. It, it was. What, what was it that? Was. The 0-4, was that the 5 draft? Oh four draft? Uh, I I he was a Thrasher's pick. That's all I remember. I know point. he was. A th- I so, know he's a Thrasher yeah. pick. But now, but now, now it's going to uh, stop me if I don't look this up right now while while I while I have you on here. I guessed oh five, and I was wrong. It was oh eight. Yeah, I was gonna say I thought it was a little bit later than that, but yeah, uh, I'm aging myself. Ah. <laughs> Any other takeaways from the All American game, Chris? Um, I mean, you know, it's really it is really a difficult game to stand out in. You know, I think it's a really hard game to you know learn a ton, uh, as you mentioned before, just because there's you know there's not a lot Any, of time. Anybody and- who is not with the NTDP. That you actually look thought looked like an NHL player in that game. Oh, I mean, I guys that based on that performance in the game, tough to say. I mean, you you know you you did mention some of the guys that, um, uh, you know Emerson. I thought looked good. He's a guy that I think is going to have you know as a second year draft eligible. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to have a chance. Um, you know, I think that they're. Guys like Sammy Harris, who's had a really strong season, you know, I think he could be a late round guy um, as a as a as a reentry. Same with Cole Knubel. Um, you yep. know, those, agree, those, agree on Knubel. Yeah, I mean, those are guys that I think have an opportunity uh, to go, and I, and that's that is one reason why I'm at least glad that you know the USHL is becoming a, a breeding ground for second year eligible players to be picked by NHL teams as teams kind of change their. They don't necessarily change their strategy, but they start including more of those guys that are college-bound guys that you think, hey, maybe we'll sign that guy later as a college free agent. We want to have a good book on him. It's all about the reserve uh, rights, right? I mean, it's the yeah, absolutely it's this yeah. four four years versus two years. And you know, I think there's a lot of guys, teams who want once you get past the the good CHL players, they start turning to USHL high school in Europe. Yeah, yeah, and 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 one one other guy I did want to point out is Jacob Fowler. You know, goalies they only sure. play half the game. He he gave up one goal. Um, you know, 12, 12 saves on thirteen shots, and he'll get drafted. He's headed to Boston College next year. I mean, Boston College had how many like eight or seven, seven or eight recruits in that game. Um, so Boston College is <laughs> is going to be looking a lot yeah. better next yeah. year. Yeah, especially if Cutter stays, which I don't think is a foregone, which I don't think is a for sure that he stays. But if he does stay, I think they're going to have a really exciting team next year. And BU should be a pretty good team. Macklin Celebrini's going in there. If, yep. if if they, that could be a really interesting dynamic next season. Yeah, a lot of a lot of high level prospects will be concentrated right on Commonwealth Avenue there. So I'm I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah, um, I was hoping to see the one USHL guy who wasn't playing that was that I think 
is kind of trending in a really good direction was Gavin McCarthy. He was injured, didn't get to play yes. in the game. Uh, I was kind of hoping to see him there. I think he has a chance to be the, the first USHL guy off the board um, outside the program. I'm not saying he will be. I think Sturback and Robbo are ahead of them him right now, but I think he's he's having a strong year and yep. he has at least put himself into a, into a good discussion. It was unfortunate he wasn't in that game. Um, yeah, I think he's past Strathman for me in terms of the best draft eligible, uh, def- you know, U.S. defenseman in that in that league. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I'm I'm close on that one too. And also, Gavin McCarthy. If correct me if I'm wrong, but he was part of the Shane Wright trade to Windsor. Yes, he was. His rights are now owned by the Kingston Frontenacs, and I don't think that he's going there. So I I'm not 100 percent as well on board with the idea he'll be a Kingston Frontenac, but. I'm sure they'll make a decent uh, recruiting bid, and and we'll see how they do. Uh, but I suspect he will as well. He'll be a college-bound player, and I think that's kind of does it for us today here, Chris. Uh, I I hope we all didn't sound too uh, incompetent or like bumbling idiots without without Max guiding our conversation. He does have a steady hand, doesn't he, Max? He he does. He he is the the more sane of of the three of us. Uh, given that he doesn't uh, obsessively watch junior hockey 24-7. Yeah, that does not do good things to your brain. I, I can I can attest to that. And for the first time ever, I am going to lead us out of this episode. Thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. You can follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the athletic hockey show. You can also catch more of Chris over at Flow Hockey and his podcast, Talkin' Hockey Sense. And right now, you can get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. We'll talk to you soon.